There was a reporter, and he was interviewing a man on his 100th birthday. And the reporter said, what are you the most proud of? And the 100-year-old man said, I don't have an enemy in the world. And the reporter said, that is beautiful. How inspiring. The centurion said, yep, I've outlived every single one of them, those suckers. (laughs) There was a minister, and that minister loved his job. He didn't think he had an enemy in the world, especially not at church, because he just knew everybody at church loved him. And so he went around the world, went around his little life doing his minister thing, starting new ministries and making things grow because everybody just loved him so much. So while he was doing his thing, he decided to go ahead and invite somebody to have lunch with him, and he did. And it was such a successful lunch. He went home and patted himself on the back for it. He's like, wow, that was amazing. I talk scripture, I talk theology, and look at the new things that are going to get started. He learned a few days later that the person he had lunch with actually contacted the church leadership and said, we got to get rid of this guy. He's horrible. Said he twisted scripture, he manipulated theology, and now he's got me teaching a Bible study. He's got to go. The minister said very quickly, that man began to sabotage everything. Second guess decisions make things harder and it changed the whole landscape of the church. And the pastor said it's because of his enemy number one. There are these two sweet little third graders. And these little girls were amazing readers. And the teacher kind of figured that out very quickly. So she decided to do the accelerated reader program for them, for the whole class. It was a competition, but it was also based for rewards. For take a test on your own. Started to read, take test. And the teacher had little stars with everyone's name on it. And whoever had the most points at the end of the day got to be the highest in the star line. Well, one little girl would read, take a test, high points. The other girl would read, take a test, and even more points. And they did this over and over again. And they would compete and fight over the points. And the teacher was so excited, not really understanding the situation. And she said, I want to take your picture right by this point wall, since you've both gone over 100 points of reading. And one little girl looked at the other little girl, and one little girl growled. And the other girl said, I'm not standing by my arch nemesis. Who's your enemy? Enemies come in all shapes and sizes. Who's yours? Some enemies are kind of tame. And then other people, they cause a visceral response in us. Sometimes your enemy's your neighbor with the dog that won't stop barking. Sometimes you're, you think about the woman who's running around the country undocumented. Or maybe you think about the person who's putting inappropriate posts on social media. They come in all shapes and sizes, so I want you to take five seconds and think about your enemy. 
Some of you have a look that didn't take you five seconds to think of somebody. Think about that person. And now, with that person's name in mind, I want us to read together Luke chapter 6. Because what Jesus says is infuriating. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Love your enemy. None of us want to do that. What's kind of funny to me about this scripture, though, is the very first phrase. It says, but to you who are listening. Like Jesus knows he's been talking a whole lot. So he's like, if you're still listening, I've got something else to say. When we were in the height of virtual learning, I remember hearing on one of my children's Zoom calls, the teacher saying, if you're still listening to me, write the word rabbit on your homework and you'll get a test, an A on this unit test. And when I asked who all did it, my son said only three people were actually listening and put the word rabbit down. It's like Jesus knows I've been talking a whole lot. I know you tuned me out because sometimes sermons get long, right? But to you who are listening, I want you to love your enemies. This portion of Luke 6 is kind of the conclusion of a longer sermon. And while Jesus has been talking, or why Jesus has been talking a long time, is because he's been giving his Beatitudes. When you think about the word Beatitude, think about the word blessed. Blessed are those that. Blessed are those who. They're the list of blessings. We call them the Beatitudes. And normally when we think of Beatitudes, we think about the Gospel of Matthew, because that's kind of Matthew's thing, the Beatitudes. But Luke has a version too. And if you want to read them, they're still in Luke 6, just a little before what I read. But you should read them and compare them to that of Matthew. They're different. Their intentions are different. And we know that because Matthew has Jesus preaching his sermon on the mount. And Luke has Jesus preaching a sermon on the plain. And so here, after a long message... Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, blessed are you who are weak, blessed are you who are vulnerable. And to anybody that's still listening to me, now I want you to love your enemies. And I want you to love your enemies by blessing those that curse you, praying for those who abuse you, and turning your cheek when someone strikes you. I'm going to stop right here and tell you this. I'm an advocate for victims of interpersonal violence, and this scripture has been used in very horrible ways. This scripture is not telling a victim of domestic violence to stay. Quite the opposite. So hear me say right now, 
If you are a victim of any kind of abuse, if someone is hitting you physically, emotionally, or sexually in your home, get out and be safe. God wants you to be safe. So call a friend, call that 800 number that I know you've already seen, or call us here at Chapel Roswell because we are on standby to help you. This scripture implies much more than a submissive tolerance of abuse. And in order for me to prove it to you, I'm going to ask two volunteers to come join me. Chad and Joe have been thankfully willing to come and help me with a little demonstration. So y'all can go ahead, come together. Oh no, okay. So <laughs> Joe and Chad are gonna show us what it looks like when someone hits you um, in the first century. <laughs> I know. So in the first century, you're only gonna use your right hand because your left is unclean. You're only gonna hit somebody on the right side of their face. So just to remind everybody from their right, from their left, Chad, I want you to take your right hand and put it on your right cheek. <laughs> Other cheek. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Joe is gonna raise his right hand to remind you what his right hand is. <laughs> Joe's gonna hit Chad on the right cheek. Okay, he's going to pretend to hit Chad on the right cheek. Are you ready? Okay, go. Do you see what happened? Joe can only use the back of his hand to hit Chad on the right cheek. He can't use the palm. He has to use the back of his hand. Show us one more time. Chad's reaction was to what? Turn the cheek. Let's do it in slow-mo and let everybody see. So Joe goes to strike, and Chad goes to turn the cheek. He can't be hit that way. The back of the hand was actually not made to hit somebody or to hurt someone. It was meant to put them in their place. And so Chad, by turning the cheek, says... You will not do that to me again. Thank you, guys. Nicely done. Yes, it's very sweet. A youth parent trying to hit one of our youth volunteers. I'm going to say it again. The back of your hand was meant to put someone back in their place. Men did this to women. People did this to those who were beneath them. They did it to children. And Jesus is saying, when someone tries to put you back in your place, turn the cheek and do not allow it again. No longer will you find your place in the world. No longer will you find value in the value of someone else. No longer will your self-esteem be controlled by the person across from you. No longer will your situation be controlled by things of the world because the only thing you need to remember is you will never be lowered again because you will only find your place in Jesus Christ. The scripture implies that we're all victims. It implies we're all victims of something. 
because it's got this new faith happening and all of these cultures and traditions and politics and laws that don't always make sense to people who are listening to Christ. And so Jesus knows everyone will be exposed to a harsh word, a harsh reality, a harsh relationship. And Jesus is saying, no longer will you be victims because we will reverse the power. You're going to take back the control of your value and your life in me and nothing else. And we will have a reversal of power through love and forgiveness and grace. Martin Luther King wrote about this in one of the letters from jail. And I'm going to read you a part of it. To those who are listening, of course, this is not practical. Life is a matter of getting even, of hitting back, of dog eat dog. My friends, we have followed the so-called practical way for too long now, and it has led to deeper confusion and chaos. For the salvation of our nation and the salvation of humankind, we must follow another way. With every ounce of our energy, we must continue to rid this nation of segregation but we shall not in the process relinquish our privilege and our obligation to love our enemies. While abhorring segregation, we shall love the segregationist because this is the only way to create the beloved community. It's the reversal of power that leads to an amazing sense of generosity. And this type of generosity is hard and so simple, but yet so important because it could actually save a life. There really was an American, um, a Baptist preacher during the American Revolution, and his name was Peter. This is a true story. And Peter's good friend was George Washington. Peter was going about his Baptist church doing his ministry, and he learned that one of his church members was arrested for treason and sentenced to die. And so Reverend Peter, Pastor Peter, walked 70 miles to Philadelphia. When he got there, he found his friend, and he said, General Washington, Please spare the life of my church member. And General Washington said, I'm sorry, Peter. I can't save your friend. And Peter said, oh, he's not my friend. He actually makes my life hard. He's enemy number one. And George Washington said, wait, you walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? That puts things in a totally different light. I grant the pardon. Pastor Peter walked 70 miles home next to his enemy, and they talked the whole way. Because here's the thing. 
Whenever you turn the other cheek, you can't help in the process of looking into the eyes of your enemy. You have to see the lines on their faces. You have to see the expression. When you turn your other cheek, you have to look at the person across from you. And when you do, you see your enemy differently. It could be that the neighbor with the bad dog is actually your child's math teacher. (laughs) If you look carefully enough, the woman who's undocumented walking around freely is actually struggling to educate her child in elementary school, middle school, and high school because she knows there's no way for that child to be educated after high school. It could be, if you look a little closer, that the person posting those inappropriate social media texts is your mom or dad. (laughs) Think about the name that you had earlier. What would it be like if you saw them differently? What would it be like if you saw their face from a different perspective by turning the cheek? And noticing something different happening behind them. It might cause you, in your reversal of control, your reversal of power, to stop the cycle of retribution and to give a little more generously with a shirt, with the clothes, and asking for nothing in return, as Luke 6 says. There's another great story. The story is told one day that a beggar by the roadside was asking for alms from Alexander the Great as he passed by. The man was poor and wretched and had no claim upon the ruler, no right even to lift a solicitous hand. Yet the emperor threw him several gold coins. The beggar was astonished at the generosity and said, Sir, Copper coins would adequately meet the need of a beggar. So why give him gold? Alexander responded, Copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. It's interesting, the gift of gold. It should sound familiar to us. The Magi. The wise men, the king, they offered the gift of gold to a child. If you've been following the calendar season, I know y'all all have. You know that today is the seventh Sunday after Epiphany. We're still in that season where we remember the Magi making the journey to the Christ child to offer gifts. I want to remind you that in a few, about two weeks actually, on Wednesday, March 2nd, that marks the end of that season of journeying to the child. It marks the end of the season of Epiphany with Ash Wednesday. And on Ash Wednesday, we're going to have a moment of imposition of ashes and Holy Communion right here in the chapel. And so I invite you to join me. You can come during the lunch hour. You can come after school or after work, after dinner. It's 
Come and it's a self-guided time where you sit and you pray and you read and you look at hymns. And when you are ready, our clergy team will be here and we will impose the ashes. So I invite you to join me. But as we transition from Epiphany to that time of Ash Wednesday and these last few days left, I want to remind you of the importance of it. To King Herod, the child, the baby, was enemy number one. And the Magi When they went to visit the king, the king said, go and seek that child out and bring me news of him. As soon as the Magi looked into the eyes of the child next to him, across from them, they gave him gold, turned the other cheek, and went home a different way. Let's do the same, Chapel Roswell. Let's approach a child. Let's approach the person across from us. See their gift. Lay down our generosity before them and go home a new way. Amen. Let's join together in a spirit of prayer. Gracious and holy Lord, we are all here in this crowd, still listening, still wanting your presence in our lives. And so as we hear you speaking to us, as we hear you telling us how blessed we are, may we remember the blessing of the love that you have given us. We thank you for your words and for your time and for your music that helps us to hear your message above everything else. Break into our lives now so that we can see new promise around us and new blessings around us. And we may be challenged to be a victim no more. For many, Lord, every day comes as such a different gift There are some who feel lonely, some who feel forgotten. So help us bring to them a friend. For those who are sick or who are caring for someone who is sick, bring healing and bring for those who are going through a life-changing event, put in their path a new opportunity so they may see something grow. Lord, we know that there are so many among us on vacations and trips and spending time this weekend on a holiday weekend or a long weekend. So keep them safe. But may these families and people make fun new memories too. Lord, at this time, we take a moment and we pray for those who've hurt us. And it's difficulty And as vulnerable as it makes us feel, we take this moment and we say their name. And we accept an apology that we've not been given by them, that we've been given by you. 
And we say now they hold no more power or claim over our lives. While it may have had a consequence, it will not take control. And Lord, we offer ourselves now as a humble, humble body so that your love and your strength can fill us so we may be an outpouring of a golden love for people that we meet and situations that we encounter. Lord, may we as Chapel Roswell and as individuals live out this faith in such a way that it is contagious. And we ask all of this now in the name of the child that we offer ourselves in front of. Amen.